Well, today we are kicking off a brand new series, and it's called Four F O R. And I wanted to start with that video because I believe that video is a powerful and an undeniable reminder that Mosaic Church really is a church that is for people. We are for the Mississippi Gulf Coast. We are for the community and even the world around us. And that's important because for far too long, the church has been known for what we are against rather than being known for what we are actually for. In fact, maybe you grew up in a church where you felt like your church was very much against the world. It's us against them. Maybe you were encouraged to always boycott certain businesses and they had kind of an updated list on who you should be boycotting this month. Or maybe you grew up in a church where they were always speaking out about specific groups of people and how those groups of people were wrong and you want to stay away from them and not interact with them. Or maybe it looked a little different for you. I, I don't know how it looked, but what I do know is that the church has developed a reputation throughout our history. And the reputation that we have earned is that we are known for what we are against rather than who we are for. And I just want you to know that's not Mosaic Church. Mosaic Church is for people because Jesus is for people. Mosaic Church is for people who are battling an addiction. Mosaic Church is for the next generation. Mosaic Church is a church that is for people who are down and out. They've come across some really hard times. They're oppressed. We are for people who cannot speak for themselves. We are for people who are very capable of speaking for themselves. People like business owners and business leaders. People like coaches, city leaders, county leaders, state leaders, even national leaders. We are just for people because Jesus was very much for people. Catch this. We're for people who see the world the way that we do. and. We are for people who don't see the world the way that we do. Watch this. We are for Republicans. Wait for it. And we're for Democrats, okay? Like, we're just for people because Jesus was for people. We're for people regardless of their skin color. We are for people regardless of the way they feel about certain issues. We're for people regardless of their income levels or their education levels. We are for people regardless of the sin struggle that they have in their life. We want to be a church that is not just on the Gulf Coast. We want to be a church that is truly for the Gulf Coast because that's who Jesus is and that's who the Heavenly Father is. And yet there are a lot of you who struggle to believe that that could even be true because for far too long you have spent all your time in churches and you have been listening to all of these messages about all of the things that God is against, and you've just become convinced that God's pretty ticked off at the world and everyone in it, and he's against you, he's against everyone. But you need to know there is a difference between being against things or being against sin and still being for people. See, God is against sin because he knows that sin's going to wreck your life. But that is also true that God is still for you. And we want to make that really, really, really clear over the course of this series. And so let me start by asking you just to think with me about the entire reason that God sent his son Jesus into the world in the first place. 
A lot of you know John chapter 3, verse 16. Not sure if you know John chapter 3, verse 17, but I think it's even a, a better verse. L- listen to what it says. It says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but he sent his Son into the world in order to save the world through him. So if God was against the world, then his son would have come up in here saying, I'm here to condemn you. I'm here to judge you. I'm here to punish you because I'm not very happy with you. But that's not why Jesus came into the world. He did not come into the world to condemn the world. He came into the world to save the world, which says that God is not against us. No, God is a God who is very much for us. And yet the sad reality is that the Christian community is just known for what we are against. In fact, a couple of years ago, there were these two guys named David Kinnaman and Gabe Lyons who wrote a book called Unchristian. Okay? The book came out of a very long research survey that they did where they surveyed and interviewed thousands and thousands of people who are not Christians. But when they interviewed people who were not Christians, they asked them, tell me what you think about people who are Christians. Now, right or wrong, this is how they think about Christians and people who are followers of Jesus. This is what they say in the book. One crucial insight kept popping up in our exploration. In studying thousands of outsiders' impressions, it is clear that Christians are primarily perceived for what they stand against. We have become famous for what we oppose rather than who we are for. They go on. Outsiders believe Christians do not like them because of what they do, how they look, or what they believe. They feel minimized or worse, demonized by those who love Jesus. And so let me ask you to think about this in your own life. When you think about people who are not Christians, do you like them? When you think about the way they look, what they do, what they believe, do you like them? Because Jesus told us that we're supposed to love them. So even if we're failing at what Jesus told us to do, then the outside world, people who are not followers of Jesus, people who are not a member of the Christian community, they should at least feel like we like them. Hopefully they feel like we love them. But unfortunately, that's not what the research is showing, right? And so we want to work on this. We want to think about the perception that we're giving the world by the way we're treating people who are in the world. See, there are a lot of Christians who honestly just don't like people who are not Christians. They don't like people who don't think like them and look like them and act like them. But that's not who Jesus was. In fact, Jesus got into a lot of trouble with the religious establishment of his day because he was spending time, quote unquote, with the wrong kinds of people. Jesus spent time with them. Why? Because they wanted to be around him, because they knew that Jesus was for them. Jesus wasn't minimizing people. Jesus wasn't demonizing people. Jesus was for 
people. And that's who we need to be. In fact, the Apostle Paul, as he was living out his faith among those in the city of Thessalonica, the Apostle Paul made it clear, I'm trying to be like Jesus in that I worked really, really hard to show that I was for you. And so what he does is in the last part of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, he talks about how he was for them, and he uses a couple of analogies. He says, I was for you like a mother is for her children. And then he goes into this other analogy. He says, I was for you like a father is for his own kids. Now, before he gets into those analogies that we'll unpack in the weeks ahead, the Apostle Paul spent some time talking about how he was for them from a different angle in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1-7. through 7. Now, before I read this passage to you, I want you to understand that he is describing the way that he treated those in Thessalonica before they became followers of Jesus Christ. He's talking about how he treated them when they were not worshiping Jesus, but instead they were worshiping Greek gods like Zeus. And this is what he said about the way he interacted with them, about the way he treated them, about the way he tried to prove that he was for them. He said, you know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. That word trick you is the same word that you would use to describe bait in fishing. Like we weren't like kind of hanging this bait out in front of you so that we could set the hook and get you. No, that's not who we are at all. He says, instead, on the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know, we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up our greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Now, in order to fully understand this passage, you need to know that the apostle Paul is responding to some accusations that people were making against him. Okay? The, the apostle Paul had gone into Thessalonica, he had told people about Jesus, he had started a church, and then he left, okay? But he sent Timothy back to check on all of these Christians in Thessalonica, and Timothy comes back and says, Paul, like the Christians are doing really, really well, but one thing that they're struggling with is everyone outside the Christian community is dogging you out. They're telling the Christian community that you didn't come here because you were for the people, they're telling them that you came because you wanted something from the people of Thessalonica. And so Paul addresses that by saying a couple of things. He said, like, we did not put on a mask to cover up our greed. The word that's actually used there is a word that is used in our language to describe hypocrisy, to, to put on a mask and cover something up that you don't want people to really see about you. And Paul's going, there's no hypocrisy in me. I wasn't covering up my greed. And then he says this at the very end of verse 7. He says, I was like a little child 
among you. Now, I want you to think about that analogy or that imagery for just a minute with me, okay? When you think about little children, they're very different than big children, right? So if you have a teenager in your home that's like 15, 16, 17, 18 years old, and they come to you and they say, oh, I love you, mom. I love you, dad. You immediately think what? What do you want from me? That's exactly right. And so Paul is saying, look, I wasn't like one of those kids. I wasn't like a big child. I was like a little child. What are little children like? If you got a three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old, and they come to you and they say, I love you, mom. I love you, dad. You know that they don't want something from you. They are for you. They just love you. It comes from a very genuine place of sincere care. And that's what Paul's saying. He's going, guys, you know that's not true. Those people who aren't really listening to me, those people who don't really know me, they're saying that about me. But you and I both know I was like a little child when I was among you. See, in this culture, what would happen is people would roll up into town, okay? And when they would come into town, they would stay with the people in Thessalonica for a little while. And it became pretty clear pretty quickly that they did not want something for the people, but they did want something from the people. In fact, in that culture and in that time, these people were actually called sophists or cynics. Okay, Sophists and cynics were people who would come into town. They would gather really large crowds of people. They were either philosophers or storytellers or public speakers. And when they would get everyone together, they would then use their public speaking skills as a means of entertaining the community. And when they would get done entertaining everyone in the community, they expected the community to give them some money or to give them places to stay and really good food to eat. And it became pretty clear that sophists and cynics really wanted something from the community. They didn't want something for the community. And so when Paul comes into town, people who don't know Paul, people who aren't really carefully listening to Paul, what they're doing is they're looking at Paul and they're going, oh, there's another sophist or a cynic. He's the guy who rolls into town. He gathers large crowds of people. He entertains them for a little while. And then he wants something from them. Paul said, I didn't want anything from you. I wanted something for you. So what's he say? Two times he says, I shared with you over and over the gospel of Jesus Christ. Two times in seven verses, he talks about how he came to share with them the good news about Jesus Christ. Now, if you remember, we said last week that that word gospel, it literally means good news. So in their day and in their time, when they didn't have newspapers or you know, news outlets like on TV, the way in which news would spread is people would come into the community as messengers and they would communicate the news to the people of that day. In fact, has anyone in the room seen the new movie News of the World with Tom Hanks? None of you. All right. Awesome. Um, so in that movie, Tom Hanks is very much like that. He's this messenger who comes in and when he delivers the news, they put a little jingle in his pocket. Why? Because he really wants something from them, not really something for them. But Paul's going, come on, that's not me. And then what he does is he says, I want you to look at the results because the results don't lie. And so the question on the table is, who really benefited from Paul being in town? Did Paul benefit from being in their town? Or did those in Thessalonica 
benefit from the Apostle Paul being in town. And they all knew the answer to that question. Listen, Paul wasn't getting rich off of them. In fact, the Apostle Paul, in just a couple of verses later in verse 9, a verse that we did not read, he said this to remind them. He said, surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. What's Paul saying? He's saying, listen, we weren't a burden to you. I worked my tail off so that I could be a blessing to you. That's who Paul was. And it really is who we need to be. And so as I think about that, and as I think about how do people perceive Mosaic Church, it makes me wonder, like, do they see us as a group of people who are for them, or do they see us as a group of people who are somehow against them? Do they see this church as a burden in the community, or do they see this church as a blessing in the community? And it's not just something that I want for us collectively. This isn't just a PR campaign. This is something that needs to change in us individually. So so think about it in your own life. Do the people that you work with, do the neighbors in your neighborhood, do your friends, do other people in your life, your classmates, your teammates, your coaches, your teachers, does your boss, do they feel like you are for them? Do they feel like you want something from them? Or even worse, do they feel like you are somehow against them? Now, let's just be honest. This is hard for us. I mean, there there is a reason that the church has become known for what we're against rather than what we are for. And so this is why I want to challenge us to be the exception. Don't be the norm. Be the exception to the rule. Don't try to to fit in. Try to stand out. Like like you've all had someone in your life that you knew, man, they were not against me. They really were for me. For some of you, it was a coach growing up, right? You grew up with a coach, and as you thought about that coach, you were like, they didn't just want me to play hard for them. They really were for me. They developed me as an athlete, but even more than that, they developed me as a young man or as a young woman. They invested in you. Why? because they were for you, but those coaches were few and far between. The same for the leaders in your life. Like some of you have worked for a boss here or there, and you look at that boss and you just go, man, they're not like any other boss that I've had. All the other bosses kind of treat me like a cog in the wheel, but that boss was different, man. They were really for me. They invested in me. They helped me grow and develop so that I could be the very best that I could possibly be. Some of you have had a neighbor in your life, right? You've had those neighbors in your life that were a burden to you? How about those neighbors in your life that really were a blessing to you? See, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about standing out, not fitting in. We're talking about being the exception by being for people. That's who Paul was. Listen, these people had never seen anything like Paul. When Paul rolled into town, they thought, there he is, just another sophist, just another cynic trying to get something from us, but he doesn't really want something for us. And he absolutely blew their mind because they had never seen anything like him. And that's who we need to be. We need to be people who are working toward real results because the results don't lie. When Paul invested in them, as we saw in chapter one, they developed a kind of faith in Jesus that made a real difference in their life. 
And so as I thought about this this week, I thought about a lady in our church, okay? Um, I'm not going to tell you her name. She would kill me if I told you her name, and I don't really want her to kill me, okay? But I am going to tell you her story without telling you her name. Um, A couple of weeks ago, Miguel, our communications director, he made this post on our social media page, Facebook, Twitter, whatever. Um, And he posted, and it said on the post, it said, how can we be praying for you today? That's all it said. And so all kinds of people started engaging with us online and talking about the different things going on in their lives and how they needed the church to be praying for them that particular day. Someone responded from the community, and this is what they said. I'll just read it verbatim. said, currently homeless, sleeping on the beach, trying to get on my feet. My boyfriend and I both had interviews today, and he got hired, but I'm still waiting. But God is good, and we will make it and be stronger and better for it. There's the post. A lot of people saw it. Some people probably paused and actually prayed for that lady right there. But there was one lady in our church who said, I'm going to do something about it. And so this lady messaged her on Facebook and said, hey, I want to meet you. And I want to come to where you are. I just want to pray for you. Saw your post. I'm concerned. Been there. Had a hard time in my life. God showed up in my life. I just want to help you in any way that I can. So she goes and drives out to Gulfport, and she meets up with them, puts them in a hotel, single woman, puts them in a hotel for a week, and says, hey, I just want to do anything I can. Prayed for them. The husband not only, or the boyfriend not only has this job, right, but in the first week on the job, he actually gets a raise because he's working so hard and impressing his boss so much. So they're going, wow, like this doesn't just happen. Have you ever gotten, let's just put it this way, have you ever gotten a raise the first week on the job? No, right? Okay, so, so God is showing up in some special ways going, I'm for you, I'm for you, I'm for you, okay? And so she, she ends up going for another interview and she gets a job. And a big part of the reason that she got the job is because there was someone who gave a reference for her but she doesn't even know this lady named Marie. And so she felt like very much, man, God is doing something here and God seems to be for me. And so when she got the job, she told this lady in our church, hey, like your prayers are working. Like I got this job. It's kind of weird how I got the job. Like I'm a little afraid to go to work because like what if they're like, that's not the lady that I thought you were interviewing. Like, like this could get weird fast, but it seems like God is for me. The lady had plans that night canceled her plans, drove out to Gulfport, knocked on the door of the hotel and said, come on, I'm taking you guys out to the pizzeria. We're going to celebrate. And when you look at the results, results don't lie. This man and this woman who were sleeping on the beach, who were homeless, who didn't have shelter, they didn't have jobs, They saw the way in which God started working and they walked out of that situation told me on Thursday night about it, saying, God is for me, and there is a woman of God in this church that is also for me. And guys, that is who we want to be. Yes, you can applaud for that lady. She's not here. I'll tell her you guys clap for her, right? But here's what I want to ask you. Why is it that a bunch of people saw the post A few people prayed about the post, and only one woman did anything about the post. Because this is a struggle for us. We're so busy 
trying to take care of ourselves, it becomes really, really hard for us to take care of other people. And if we're going to be four people, we're going to have to have a couple of things. We're going to have to have some margin in our lives, in our time, in our finances. But the other thing we're going to have to have is a willingness to take a risk. There are a lot of people who hear that story and they go, well, I would never do something like that. I mean, those people are probably a couple of druggies and who knows what they would do. And you're not willing to take a risk. The apostle Paul was willing to take a risk for people. Look at what the text says in the very next verse. Verse two said, we had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. Now, you can go read this story in greater detail for yourself over in the book of Acts. Luke tells us a long story about what happened to Paul when he was in Philippi and in Thessalonica. It's Acts chapter 16 and 17. But what is really clear, even from this abbreviated version of the story, is that the apostle Paul was not getting rich off those in Thessalonica. But he was taking a risk for those in Thessalonica. He said, I'm going to risk being imprisoned again. I'm going to risk being beaten with rods again. I'm going to take a risk so that I can make sure that you know about Jesus and so that we can start a Christian church in this town before I leave, even if there is a price that I have to pay personally. And so you need to know this. I need to know this. If we are going to be four people, it may not benefit you, but it definitely will cost you. It it may cost you time. It may cost you money. It may cost you your reputation in the workplace. You may run the risk of failure. But what's the old adage? Nothing ventured, nothing gained. No No risk, no almost gave it away right there. No reward. That's exactly right. Or as my buddy JB likes to say, he says, you got to risk it for the biscuit. I don't even know what that really means, but I kind of like it. So that's who we are. We're people who risk it for the biscuit, right? The idea of being for people is an idea that has to start getting into our hearts collectively as a church. It's got to get into our DNA, but it also has to get into our hearts individually. See, as a church, I want us to be for everyone who walks through our doors. But I also want us to be for people who never plan on walking through our doors. Like, like that's the kind of church that God wants us to be. And so for us, we've got to be more like Paul. What was Paul? Paul was on mission. Paul said, I know that those people aren't coming to me, so I'm going to go to them because I am for them. This is how the world changes, okay? See, the Apostle Paul knew that the world needs to change. You know that the world needs to change. The difference between Paul and us is Paul is really clear on how the world is going to change, and I don't think we're all that clear on how the world is going to change. The Apostle Paul knew that the only way the world would really change is through the local church. The local church is the hope of the world. God ordained the church. He established it. He said, that's the way the world is going to change. Yes, he put all his eggs in one basket. There is no plan B. It's the church or bust. And so the reason that the apostle Paul put all of his time, 
all of his money and all of his energy into backing and starting local churches is because he absolutely believed that the local church is the hope of the world, living and teaching the truth of Jesus Christ. And so you can actually start scrolling through every other option you can possibly think of, and you will discover that nothing else is going to bring about change in the world the way the local church can as it lives out and teaches the truth of Jesus Christ. Okay, think about politicians. Politicians are running for office in this town. And you can just drive through downtown. There's at least 20 signs on every city block in this town right now because there's an election that's getting ready to happen. But let me tell you about politicians. Politicians go into it with the purest of hearts, but they change a few laws, they pass a few bills, but they will not change the world because in order to change the world, you have to change the human heart. And politicians are not capable of changing the human heart. Teachers are not going to change the world. I, I love teachers. I am for teachers. But teachers are not going to change the world. They're going to teach useful knowledge. They're going to develop young men and young women. They're going to teach them critical thinking skills. But it's not going to change the world. Psychiatrists and psychologists are not going to change the world. They do a great service for our community. They help people through tragic times. They help them with behavior modifications. They help them learn from their past and, and learn from their mistakes. But it's not going to change the world. Businessmen and businesswomen will provide people with some much-needed jobs so that they can take care of themselves and their families financially. But it's not going to change the world. Bill Hybels once said that there is only one power that exists on this sorry planet that can do that. It's the power of the love of Jesus Christ, the love that conquers sin and wipes out shame and heals wounds and reconciles enemies and patches broken dreams and ultimately changes the world one life at a time. And what grips my heart every day is the knowledge that the radical message of that transforming love has been given to the church. This is why Paul did what he did. It's why he put all of his energy and all of his time and all of his money into the local church. This is why I do what I do, because I really do believe that the local church is the hope of the world as it lives and teaches people the truths of Jesus Christ. And so we got to become more like Paul, a man who was willing to work toward real results and a man who was willing to take real risk. COVID has obviously created a lot of problems in our world and it's obviously created a lot of problems for even the church. We had to get creative in the last year about how do you take the message of Jesus Christ to the coast when you're dealing with a global pandemic. And so it forced us to do some creative things and leverage technologies and start podcasts like The Loop. But listen, as the threat of COVID goes away, we have to get back to starting mosaic campuses all along the Gulf Coast because the greatest need a community has is for a vibrant church that is for the community and is committed to living and teaching the truths of Jesus Christ. That's how the coast will change. That's how communities will change. That's how families will change. That's how people will change. And so this is just the first message in a series. But I hope that the thought starts to sink in. 
that, that we need to stop being against people and we need to start being for people. And so as we kind of let that thought start to sink in, I want to ask you this question. Are you willing to take a risk? And if so, what's it look like? Start at home. Let me ask you this question. What price are you willing to pay so that your spouse knows that you are for them and not against them? I do more marriage counseling than I would like to admit. And most of the time, you can watch people walk into the office and describe the problem, and it sounds like, man, you are against each other. You are not for each other. So what's it look like for you to work on making sure your spouse knows that you are for them? What's it look like for you to work on making sure that your kids know that you are for them? My son tells me sometimes, man, dad, it feels like I can't do anything right. Ah, that's not true. I love 99% of what I see in that young man. He needs to know that his daddy is for him, not always trying to correct him, right? What's it look like for your neighbors and for your coworkers to know that you are for them? Let me tell you what it was looking like for Jesus to show us that he was for us. Jesus said, I'm going to make the ultimate sacrifice for these people. In fact, Paul told us about it in Romans chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. He said, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might dare to die, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while he still looked at us and said, don't like the, what they believe, don't like the way they look, don't like the way they think, don't like the way they talk, don't like the things that they do, while we were still there, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, I know that some of you are probably skeptical. And some of you have been sitting here going, you're not telling the full story, man, because I've read the New Testament, but guess what, preacher? I also read the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, it doesn't look like God is for people. It looks like he's pretty ticked at people. In fact, it looks like he is against people. And so let's just clear that up together, okay? Scripture says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God hasn't changed. In the Old Testament, God did not wake up on the wrong side of the bed, okay? In the Old Testament, God was not just walking around in the world in a really bad mood, and then his son Jesus came into the world, and he got out on the right side of the bed, and all of a sudden was in a really good mood. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so as we look at some of those Old Testament stories, the question is, how are we supposed to understand who God is in light of what we see in those stories? We run it through filters like 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 that helps us understand that. It says this, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. We sometimes look at the evil things that are going on in the world by evil people, and we go, man, God, why are you doing something about it? He tells us why He wasn't doing something about it. He's not slow in keeping His promise. Instead, He is patient with you. He's not just patient with you. He was patient with them as they lived all of their lives in constant rebellion against who he is and what he stood for. They would shake their fist in the face of God, and God was patient with them, not wanting anyone to perish. 
not wanting anyone to perish, but wanting everyone to come to repentance. Listen, when you read those Old Testament stories, God wasn't just running around paying people back. God had been patiently waiting for generations, hoping to see in them a spirit of repentance so that he could bring them back. This is how God treats his enemies. And let me tell you, this is the very essence of the gospel or the good news that the apostle Paul was actually declaring to those in Thessalonica. Yes, God is for those who are part of the family, but God is also for those who are not a part of his family. In fact, it's not just what we see in the heavenly father. It's what we see in his son, Jesus, when Jesus came into the world in the New Testament, Jesus lived his life in such a way that he said, I am not only for my enemies, I want you to be for my enemies. Listen to what he said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 45. He said this, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's probably the way a lot of people think, but it's not how Jesus thinks. He said, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. See, it's not just that we need to be for our enemies. The reason that we need to be for our enemies is because that's who our Heavenly Father is. He is a God who is for His enemies. And yet there are a lot of us who are more interested in correcting everyone rather than connecting with everyone. And it really is what has contributed to this problem that for far too long the Christian community has been known for what we're against rather than being known for who and what we are for. And it hasn't just affected the way people see us. It's affected the way people see our God. And it's wrong. So make no mistake about it. God is for you. Some of you walked through those doors this morning. And when you walked through the doors, you thought lightning was getting ready to strike or the roof was getting ready to cave in. Because you were like, this is a dangerous thing for someone like me to walk into a church. And yet it didn't happen. Why? Because God is for you. And I want you to know something about Mosaic Church. We are for you. Our God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to die for your sins so that you could spend forever with him. That's how much he is for you. It's not just who he is. It's who we want to be. Will you pray with me? If you are here today and you're thinking, man, I did not know that. I walked in here today thinking God was against me. I want you to hear the good news. I want you to hear the good news that God is for you, that he sent his son to die for you while you were still a sinner, while your life was still a wreck. He loves you so much that he punished his son in your place so that you could receive grace and mercy and forgiveness. So if you've never put your faith in Jesus, let today be your day. Let this be your moment. You simply say, God, I I didn't know that. God, when I think about all the things I've done and all the mistakes I've made, I thought you were against me. 
But God, I believe what, what I've heard in all of these Bible verses. Listen, the reason I read so many Bible verses today is because I didn't want you to think this is what I think. I wanted you to see undeniably this is what God says. And so today, just accept that. Say, God, I, I can't believe what your word says about how you're for me. But, but I'm choosing right now to put my faith in your son, Jesus, who didn't come into the world to condemn me, but he came into the world to save me and to save my relationship with you. If you put your faith in Jesus, I want you to let us know. You can send us an email. You can fill out the connect card. You can do whatever you want. You can talk to us after service. But listen, we just want to know about your decision to follow Jesus because we want to be for you. We want to celebrate with you. We, we want to help you take next steps like baptism. So communicate with us. But some of you are here and um, you're part of the Christian community. And so my question for you is this. Is there anyone in your life who thinks you're against them? Your spouse, your kids, a neighbor, a coworker, is there anyone in your life who feels like you're against them? If so, as a follower of Jesus, I want to ask you to make a wrong right. I want to ask you to humble yourself and to go and have a conversation with that person. I want you to say to them, I, I, I have not treated you the way that I wish I had. I think the way I've treated you has led you to believe that I'm against you and nothing could be further from the truth. I am for you and I'm going to work on making sure that I treat you in a totally different way moving forward. And do that. Let the world around you know that you are for them and not against them. God, we know that this is hard. And so we ask that your Holy Spirit empower us to be more like Jesus. And we pray it all in his name. Amen.